0: Let's uh, turn together to Matthew chapter 18. So tonight we bring to a close uh, a, a series that we've been in over the course of our uh, our prayer emphasis through the covenant, um, looking at some uh, one of the parts of our covenant that I, that pastorally speaking I believe is a an area that we can improve in. Let's put it that way. Um, our covenant says that uh, the need for, to resolve conflict is surely going to arise. Like It's a definite thing that we will have uh, tension between each other, and that we'll, we need to be able to resolve that in the way that, that Jesus has mapped out for us. And so a part of our covenant um, vows that we make to each other is, when conflict comes up, this is how we're going to handle it. And so we have been trying as a congregation to um, to learn how to do that well. And so uh, this is the fourth part of the series, and tonight we'll get into some of the practical things. And um, I'm going to sort of recap some of the major points that we've covered over the series, but uh, they're all podcasted. And so if you want to go listen to those, um, I would encourage you to do that. Um, but basically, um, in Matthew 18 we see that Jesus, um, he's helping us out. And uh, it really comes down to uh, to understanding some things about the kingdom of God. So in the Bible, Ed, the Bible tells us that there are two kingdoms uh, in, in the world. There's the kingdom, the Bible calls it the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of this world is, uh, so when Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, God... Uh, a part of the consequences of that sin, God put them outside of the garden. And he, um, there were certain like things that like, have happened because of that sin, but a part of it was that God put them outside the garden, and there was a distance created uh, between God and man, because uh, God is holy, and uh, His holiness, His perfection, will destroy sin. Um, you can think of it as you know, light essentially destroys darkness; it eliminates it. And so, uh, God built—he built, um, built into the structure of how the world works this separation, so that uh, He wouldn't destroy His children. And He came up with a plan to um, to forgive and uh, to cover the sin that happened, that created this separation. Uh, he had this master plan. That uh, all comes down to Jesus coming to the earth and, and dying, and so, um, but the master plan uh, took he wanted to, like in his perfect brilliance, uh, decided this was just going to take a long time to work these things out, and he had this whole plan. so being outside the garden, being separate from God, Adam and Eve had kids, and then those kids had kids, and it just kind of kept going until you and I were born and uh, so we were really born outside of the kingdom of God. Outside the Garden of Eden, okay, we were born in the, on the other side of this separation. We were born into the kingdom of this world, uh, as the Bible calls it. And in the kingdom of this world, uh, self is, is the primary focus. The kingdom of God, God is the primary focus. The kingdom of this world, uh, I'm the primary focus. And you are the primary focus. And each individual walking around in the kingdom of this earth, they're really, their main agenda is themselves. And everything that... Every decision, every the way we handle um, every situation that we're put into uh, self is really the driving force there. And so um, when Jesus comes and uh, someone understands the fact that we are born and we we're separate from him and we need a redeemer that will come and cover that sin and bring us back to the Lord, when you realize that that is Jesus and we place our faith and our trust in him, to save us from that kingdom, but also to be the Lord uh, of our lives, he transfers us from that kingdom outside the garden into this, his kingdom in his presence where he is the focus. Um, but what happens is those two kingdoms are not, uh, once you're in the kingdom of God, it's not like you are completely detached from the kingdom of the world either. It's really like those two kingdoms kind of overlap, and that's where we find ourselves. Um, If you are a Christian, you are in this overlap between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And that is, until we uh, pass away and go to be with Jesus or he comes back, that's the reality that we're living in. And so, talking about conflict resolution is no really, in in some ways, it's no different than talking about dealing with temptation or dealing with materialism or dealing with all the other things that we're learning to cope with. We... In the overlap between the two kingdoms, we have a choice to make. And so you could, you could think of it one way, but I'd rather think of it a different way. You could think of it as, okay, when I'm facing temptation, I can either, I can either deal with this inside the kingdom of God or inside the kingdom of the world. You know, you could think about it like, like that, but I think it's been more beneficial to think of it like this. I can, I can deal with temptation either inside the kingdom of God or outside the kingdom of God. Inside the kingdom of God or outside the kingdom of God? When we're dealing with uh, battles with any sort of anything that's going on, we have a choice to make. Jesus has freed us from one kingdom, and now we're free to choose his kingdom, but we have these choices, and we face them uh, over and over and over and over again. And that is a part of having a relationship with God, is that as we encounter these different choices, he's teaching us how to, how to choose his kingdom and how to handle things inside the kingdom, not outside the kingdom. And over time, uh, we honestly, we get better at these choices. Like it, He's developing a new rhythm. So when you're born in the kingdom, into the kingdom of the world, you're very used to choosing that. And then he brings us into this overlap, and we're not real sure what to do at first. But then the longer we walk with him, the more he teaches us and teaches us and creates this new rhythm. So with conflict, it's, it's the same way. We can handle conflict inside the kingdom of God, or outside the kingdom of God. We have a choice to make. And so what we have been working toward in this teaching series is, is understanding conflicts in such a way that it, only, it just only makes sense to choose inside the kingdom of God. And he paints a very beautiful picture of why that is, is so good. If we look in Matthew 18, starting verse 15, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. All right, this is probably one of the most um, misunderstood passages uh, from Jesus' teaching that we find. Um, And it's... A lot of times it's applied incorrectly, or you know whatever, and so I want to clear up a little bit of it, but not everything, um, because we don't have time to do that because we have a ton of stuff to cover here in a second. But so this passage is about what um, what has been like given the term uh, church discipline, and that freaks a lot of people out because um, mostly because church discipline is handled really really poorly. Church discipline uh, is really the kind of, of thing that happens within a family all right when someone has been uh, in some sort of rebellious sinful pattern and they refuse uh, refuse to like to come out of that refuse to receive help to come out of it receive they just are re- refusing and they 're stuck in it and whatever um, when that happens in a family and some of you. Um, you come from like your earthly families are like this. You have a sibling or a cousin or an aunt or uncle or maybe your parents or maybe maybe you um, are like a point of tension relationally within the family because of something. Sometimes it's from really good stuff, and I know that we have we've had people be a part of the ring over the years who were the only Christian in their family, and that was a huge problem. That's not what this is talking about, okay? So don't feel bad if you're the one Christian in your family and everybody is frustrated by that. You need to stand firm. That's why God has given you another family, all right? Um, but um, as as far as within the, the context of a church community like this, sometimes we, just, we come up upon it. And so Jesus has given us the steps to take to deal with those among us who are, immersed in some sort of sinful pattern that they either refuse to get out of or they don't know how to get out of, right? So that's what this passage is about. So at the end, like in verse 20, where it says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Uh, that's usually, um, or it's been often misapplied to be like a worship service verse, right? It's like, oh, there's, there's more than two of us here. That means that he's here with us. That's not what that verse is about. Um, it is true where two or three are gathered, he is here with us in a worship service, that's fine, but also where one is gathered, he's with you there too. Um, And so this is not about worship services, this is, when Jesus says that, he is saying, you need to involve me in your conflict resolution. You need to invite me into it. Let me be, you need to invite me into it, which is not to say that he's not already there, but we need to acknowledge his presence. He says, let me play the role I'm supposed to play in you resolving your conflict. Okay, That's what he's saying. So if prayer is not a part of conflict resolution, we've got a problem. Um, it's essentially that. Um, when he talks in verse 18 about uh, binding things on earth or loosing things on earth and heaven, stuff like that, that is giving uh, some pastoral authority to the pastors and uh, apostles and teachers and, and stuff like that. And so that is... Um, that is a whole other sermon, basically. Uh, but So that's kind of what that's talking about. But that's more of, a, uh, of us saying that, um, that we, we have authority in Christ, and we have authority in, within leadership structure in the church as well, and God recognizes that, and God honors that, and, uh, and whatever. So um, we'll kind of put that to the side as well. Um, if you back up even further, in 15 through 17, you see that, th- that there's this progression, right? Uh, you go to the person first. And if they don't listen to you, then you take two or three more. If they don't listen to you, you bring them before the church. Um, if, if that doesn't work, then you treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. Okay? That, is, um, that is a process that is uh, horrible. <laughs> Honestly, uh, as a pastor, that's one of those places where I wish you could just kind of cut that out of the Bible sometimes. Um, and, but every church, like it's something that we're called to, and our church has a plan for when that happens, and it has happened before, and we've tried to do that, and we're, we're learning, and it's just kind of one of those things. Um, that progression is uh, is has one one goal, and that is to figure out what you're working with. So if you go to the, the person, they don't listen to you, and you take two or three more, and they don't listen to you. You take them before the church, uh, and they don't listen to you. The reason why it says then treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector is because... Jesus has given this process. He's like, look, if this doesn't work, and this doesn't work, and this doesn't work, you're not dealing with someone who's a Christian. The Christ in them, the Spirit of God that is alive and working in them, will soften them through this process. And, and so, ideally, it would, it would just take the first step. That's all you would need. But then two or three, maybe maybe the first, maybe step one, the one-on-one deal, maybe that softens them a little bit. Then Maybe two or three, that's where, they, that's where there's a brokenness that's there. Or maybe it takes something more public, which we've never had to do, thank the Lord. Um, But maybe that's what it takes. But if if, if it doesn't work its way through, then to treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, some people think that means you kick them out of the church. It doesn't mean that you kick them out of the church in the horrible way that that sounds. It means like, no, you've basically been barking up the wrong tree the whole time. So how do you treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Well... According to the New Testament, you, teach them with a, you treat them with a ton of grace and love and the gospel. So that's what this passage is going for, is, is to help us resolve conflict uh, with, between Christians, and then if this process doesn't work, then you're dealing with a non-Christian, and so you do some things a little bit differently, uh, or whatever. So that's, that's the, the, the whole passage in the quickest synopsis I could possibly come up with. If you look at verse 15... Look at verse fifteen. This is uh, here Jesus sets the ideal. All right. Um, when we talk about conflict resolution, the the text itself is really dealing with with some pretty intense, like sinful patterns and rebellion and that kind of stuff. And that's the point of church discipline. But the first step, really, he gives the ideal for inside the kingdom conflict resolution. Verse fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's inside the kingdom of God, conflict resolution. He's basically saying like, hey, you need to just have a conversation. Your brother sinned against you. You go to him. You talk it out. If he listens to you, you've you've gained him. Like that's that's the goodness there. That could also be used as a one verse that sums up the gospel in a lot of ways as well. Because we sin against God, He came to us and told us about it. If you're a Christian, you listen to Him, and I don't know if He gains, but we definitely gain. And so that's what conflict resolution looks like. It's the gospel just played out between us interpersonally. So it's a conversation, and that's a lot of times where we, where we mess up, is here this verse says, you need to go and talk to the person, just the two of you. Um, this is typically where things kind of go sideways, is because we either talk to everybody but the person, or we just don't talk to them at, at all, ever. Um, neither of those is a viable healthy option, and, and definitely not inside the kingdom. So, moving forward, what, is, what does that conversation need to look like? Like, how does, how does that work itself out in a practical sense, um, to go to your brother, show, show him his fault, uh, and be heard, and to gain that relationship, and gain that together? So, I'm, I want to break this down into, into three, three sections, uh, before, and during, and after. All right. before the conversation, during the conversation, and then after the conversation. Um, so before is a lot of where we've been for the last couple of weeks. Um, the uh, here's a couple a couple of thoughts about before. This is going to be kind of random and scattered and you know whatever. But um, we began uh, just laying a like theological foundation for for this that that a part of the before the conversation process needs to be you getting your mind straight. About what has happened. Um, and so that begins with applying what we know to be true, in, like, theologically about what's happened. So there are three points in that first week. The first point was, we need to acknowledge the impact that sin has had. That if uh, if someone has hurt you, or if you have hurt them, and, and this whole conversation, really, it could go either way, right? Um, but whenever there is hurt between two people, uh, that is because sin has broken us relationally sin has has like put us against each other Um, you can go back to Genesis 3 and you can see where God was like hey because he told Adam and Eve because of your sin you're going to be butting heads a lot like a lot in Christ uh, he has he has healed that and forgiven that and so um, but we have to acknowledge that uh, if someone has hurt you it's not because they're the worst person that has ever walked the face of the earth you know or because they're, they're they they aren't really your friend, or because not because like oh they don't really love me, or this and this and this. It's no, it's none of the reasons that we come up with. We have to get down to the root of it and say why is this conflict? Where does it come from? It comes from sin. Sin is the is the bad guy here, not the person that you're upset with, and not yourself if you're the one that's done the hurting. So the impact of sin is a part of our theological, uh, you know, thoughts. Um, the, the second thing we talked about is the safety of the kingdom. That inside the kingdom, it's completely safe to have this conversation. That in his kingdom, there's no hiding. There's no shame. There's, um, there's, there's no reason to keep anything hidden. There's no reason to, uh, to shy away from telling someone the truth. Uh, admitting that you were wrong or admitting that your feelings were hurt or it, you know any of that kind of stuff. There's a complete safety that he's created because there's nothing to fear because he's handled that. We come up with a lot of fears, but none of them are valid because the gospel has covered that. And so the impact that sin has had, sin has put us against each other, um, Jesus has forgiven that already. So the price to be paid for the sin that happened against you or that you committed against someone else, Jesus came to the cross and died for that already, and has brought you into this kingdom where it's totally safe to have this dialogue that he's talking about in Matthew 18, verse 15. That there's a safety that exists among us. And then the third point on the theological stuff um, is the precedent of the gospel. It's to recognize that, that in what Christ has done, he has, he has given us a model to follow. That we sinned against him, he came to us, he uh, told us about our fault, we listened to him, we believed him, we trusted him, and we have gained him. and He has gained us and uh, that that has set the precedent. And so what we, what you and I are doing when we have tension with each other is we're saying, sin caused this, Jesus already healed this, in the kingdom it's safe to work through it, uh, so let's follow his example, and let's just act out the gospel together. We just reenact it together. Um, that is thinking theologically about our hurts and our pains. Uh, sometimes that's really difficult, because um, we're not... Most of us are not quite there. where That's our, that's our like default way of thinking. But that's a part of growing in Christ that he teaches us that. So uh, as the before the conversation happens section, the first thing is we have to think theologically and correctly, of course, uh, about what has happened. Um, the second thing that I would, that I would say uh, is what we covered last week. We have to work through our fears and hesitations. We have to acknowledge the fact that most of us, if not all of us, uh, are very timid when it comes to conflict. Um, even people who like, like to boast that they aren't afraid of conflict, they kind of are uh, at times. Um, maybe, they, maybe, maybe you're not afraid when you are hurt to tell someone else, but maybe when you've done the hurting, maybe you're timid. But we all have these fears and hesitations that are there, um, and so we have to work through that before the conversation happens. Oftentimes, that conversation will not happen unless we do take time to work through that. So if you're scared of their reaction, or if you're scared, of, scared to say that, that you were wrong, or any of the things that we covered last week, recognizing that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, self-control. That the power that raised Jesus from the dead, proving that that sin is covered, that that is within us, is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That he's given us a spirit of love that you really can love this person even if you think that you hate him. The ability to love them is inside the kingdom because Christ is inside of you. And self control, the fact that you can have a conversation without just completely losing it emotionally, it's, it's there. It may not be there when you're immediately hurt, but he will lead you there and he will get you to a point where you can articulate those hurts, you can apologize. You can have like a dialogue about what's happened. And you really can do that because he will lead you through it. So the first thing, you have to think theologically about it. Second thing, we have to work through our fears and our hesitations. Um, the third thing, uh, you have to prepare your, your mind and your heart for that conversation. You can't just, you can't just go into, into that uh, just kind of shooting from the hip. You really have to process through, and so this is the second part of the series. We looked at um, things like knowing, uh, knowing what our role is in that. That when, when, you, when you sit down with someone who's hurt you or you've hurt them, uh, your role is not to be the one that brings conviction and to convince them how wrong they were and how terrible they were to you. Uh, that pointing out their sin, that you're there to speak the truth in a loving way the Holy Spirit is there to bring conviction. Now, uh, all of this stuff pertains to like when, when the person that you're talking to, or a group, or however this works, talking like everybody there is a believer. Okay, so if everybody there is a believer, I'm gonna talk about dealing with people who aren't Christians at the end. But everybody there is a believer, then the the Holy Spirit is is there, present, completely, completely there, 100 percent there. In that conversation, it's his job to do the convicting. It's our job to do the speaking and the articulating. But you have to know that role, because sometimes we go in guns a-blazing, just ready just to blast them, and that's not, that's not how it works. So we have to know our role. Um, we have to um, we have to take Jesus' instruction very seriously to, um, to search our own uh, hearts and minds in regard to sin before we try to help someone else. The way he articulates it... Um, he says, um, how in the world are you going to get a splinter out of, out of someone else's eye when you have a giant log sticking out of your own, you know? And so a part of that is, he says, you need to remove the log from your own eye, and then you can actually help them with the speck of sawdust that they have in theirs. Uh, so that's a part of the process in preparing your heart and mind is to really sit down and to ask the Lord to show you what, what role have I played in this? How have I contributed to the problem here? And that takes a lot of humility, especially when you're the one being hurt. And it's real easy to point the finger to say, to bring yourself before the Lord and to say, all right, what did I do? Have I done anything that could contribute to this? Will you help me remove the log from my own eye if that's the case? And sometimes he'll he'll show you how maybe you have contributed to the unhealth in the relationship. Maybe not the specific incident that you want to talk about, but maybe there's some unhealthy things going on already, and he can show you that. But maybe... Maybe you didn't do anything and you just need to hear it from him. Uh, that's a beautiful moment and one that we oftentimes need, especially especially when we have been hurt by someone and you're kind of asking yourself, what, did I, what about me invites people to hurt me, you know? How did I open up to this? What, how, how did I bring this upon myself? To prepare your heart and mind and to take Jesus seriously and, you, and for him to say, look, there isn't a log in your eye, you know? You haven't done anything that's brought this on you. That there's a lot of healing that comes uh, from that, and so we have to know our role. We have to re- to consider how we maybe have contributed to things. We have to make sure that our goal is forgiveness and not just to pay them back. Um, we have to really we have to be in a place where our hearts our heart and mind is prepared to have the right result. So if you set up that conversation and all you really want to do is give them a piece of your mind, that's, you're not ready for that conversation yet. And so you continue to pray and to get to a, a place where you're ready to truly forgive them, which means to, to not make them pay for what they did to you. And while you, you remember everything that happened, you know, we talked last week about forgive and forget, it's a myth. It's not in the Bible. It, God doesn't, for, he doesn't forgive and forget. He remembers every single detail and yet doesn't hold it against us. and doesn't make us pay for it. And that's what we do relationally with each other is we remember everything that was said about us or what was done or what we've done or however it needs to work. And yet God can bring us to a place where we understand how to not hold it against them and feel the need to repay. And so preparing our hearts and our minds, that's a big part of it too, you know, so... So you're you're thinking theologically, you're thinking rightly about that, you're, you've dealt with your fears and hesitations, you are preparing your heart and your mind. Um, obviously, all this uh, encompasses a lot of prayer. And so if you've been hurt, uh, prayer is a part of how Jesus gets you ready to have that conversation. Um, and you probably need to uh, make sure that the emotions are down and the humility is up, you know. That you're, that you're not uh, just like super angry. Because um, usually when we're angry, we're very prideful. So when the emotions subside, a lot of times Christ will bring in that humility. And that's, that's oftentimes how you know, all right, now, now it really is, I'm ready for this conversation. And you know what's, what's hard to do sometimes? is to gauge your own humility. We're pretty bad judges of it most of the time. Um, and so I, I want to just have like a quick little side note here. If, uh, you know, in verse 15 in Matthew 18, he says, Your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And that's, you know, that's the first step in the resolution, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong or sinful to seek wisdom from other people. Uh, and we all know the difference between seeking wisdom, that's really, you just want someone to, uh, agree with you how terrible that person is you know like we know we know what that like gossipy backbiting kind of conversation looks like and we know the other end of the spectrum too we know the people around us who will give us wise counsel and that will help us and listen to us and ask us the right questions and I would encourage you to seek someone out before you have a conversation say hey okay Um, I'm about to enter into a conflict resolution conversation. I'm about to walk out Matthew 18, verse 15. Um, Can we sit down and you just tell me if you hear some red flags of things that maybe I'm not quite as humble as I think I am going into it. Maybe my emotions are still kind of out of whack. Maybe my thinking isn't all that correct or whatever. Someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth and will not affirm the wrong things, but will encourage you uh, in pressing into the Lord. And so, all that to say, um, that's generally, take the last three weeks, compress them into a few minutes. That's a lot of what leading up to the conversation itself should look like. So, that's the before part. So, um, before we go to the uh, the during part, uh, a lot of times people want to know, like, well, who who should make the first move? You know? Who makes the first move? So, 18:15 right there it says um that your brother has uh if your brother sins against you so that makes you let's say that you're the victim you're the innocent one and he's the I don't know you're the offended he's the offender right um you don't need to turn to it. we're going to throw up uh Matthew chapter 5 I believe it is um yeah This is what Jesus says again. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So go back to 23. Um, Your brother has something against you. So in this case, you're the offender, and your brother is the offended. Um, In the gospel, we were the offenders... Jesus was the offended, so he made the first move. Um, So I I believe that there is scriptural evidence that it really doesn't matter. It's not more on one person than the other person. That in Christ and inside the kingdom, we all bear equal responsibility. So who makes the first move, the offender or the offended? Well, either or both. It's on both of us um, to do that. So don't get hung up and be like, well, they hurt me and they should, they should come to me. But no, that, you're not scripturally grounded if that's the way that you're um, looking at it. Uh, there's a lot of entitlement that's wound up in that kind of logic. And so we have to get be in a place where you're like, all right, it doesn't really matter who did what. We, are both, we both have this responsibility as sons and daughters of Christ that inside the kingdom we initiate this. So, um, So what should that time together look like? All right, let me give you a couple of things. As I told you tonight, is going to be like on the practical side. Um, we talked about this is from uh, uh, Ephesians four: uh, speak, speak the truth in love. That's what Paul tells him. Speaking the truth in love. Uh, that's what that dialogue should look like. It should be. Um, it should have both of those in one hundred percent quantity. Not mostly truth and a little bit of love, or a whole lot of love and a little bit of truth. Full of grace and truth. That's how John describes Jesus. Uh, that's how that interaction should be. Speak the truth in love. Be full of grace and full of truth uh, with, with each other. That entire dialogue should just be overflowing with those things. Um, so you can play that out in your head sometimes, and that's, I think that's good. You know, Rehearse it. Rehearse your opening statements. I think that's fine. You know, uh, that's like probably a very wise thing to do uh, because sometimes we default to weird stuff. But that conversation should be full of grace and truth. Um, you need to be ready to be confessional and repentant. If you are the offended, you're the one who was hurt. You need to be confessional about how you were hurt. It doesn't mean to say like that that you're sorry for being hurt, but you need to be honest in saying when you did this or you said this or whatever it is, that was hurtful to me. You need to confess that. If you're the one who did the hurting, if you're the offender, you need to say, I know that when I did this, that was hurtful to you. You gotta be ready to confess, you have to be ready to repent. Okay? You have to be repentant as far as wanting to, to turn from that pattern to Change the way that you think about the other person or those situations. And, and I, would, I would say you need to lead out with that. If you're an you, offender or offended, doesn't really matter. You're initiating the conversation. You've prepared your heart. You sit down with the other person and you're eyeball to eyeball. Uh, lead out with that stuff. Lead with being honest and repentant. Lead by talking about the process that you've been through. Someone sits down to, to confront you about something that you've done, and they begin, uh, and they're talking about, I've been praying about this for you know weeks and weeks and weeks, and they're talking about their process, and then confessional about maybe logs that were in their own eyes, and all this kind of stuff. You want to talk about, like, like usher in the kingdom to that conversation. That's what happens when there's enough humility and safety to explain all that. So you're full of grace and truth. Um, you're leading with describing like the process that you've been through, willing to confess, willing to be repentant, um, before you even get into the specifics of stuff. You need to like, set the table a little bit. Um, and as you go through the conversation, you need, to, you need to be ready with some specific examples. Nothing more annoying than someone who wants to like, roll you up about something, but they can't really tell you what it was. You know, they're just like, oh, you're just you're just mean sometimes. It's like, okay. Well, like what? Like, I don't know, you're just mean. You know? No. Go in with specific examples, okay? And uh don't feel weird about that. Jesus gives specific examples to us. Okay? The precedent of the gospel, the model that we're following is filled with specific examples. We should not feel weird about saying you said this. You emailed me this. I ask you to keep this quiet, and you told everybody, um, or whatever. Um, if you're dealing with with husbands and wives, like be specific. It's it's not it's not the kind of thing where you're like you're not you don't want to like just stockpile a bunch of like baggage and then just start throwing it at each other. You know, that's not what you want. But if you've processed it well and you've set a table that's full of grace and truth, and you're confessional and repentant about things, and you start getting specific. Then you know what you're working with. Then you have the opportunity to um, to do what what uh, is called like reflective listening. And so it goes like this: It says like, um, when you said this, it was hurtful to me. It's like, well, I'm I'm sorry. That's not what I, I meant. It's like, okay. When you said this, this is what I heard you say. And the other person has a chance to say, well, that's that's not what I was intending to say. Um, and then you start to realize, like, oh, this is a communication issue, that I'm saying one thing, and you're hearing it differently than I'm intending. And so you begin to, uh, to clarify for each other. Or you begin to ask for clarification. Like, did you mean this when you said this? Uh, you begin to offer clarification. Say, wait, hold on, let me, let me hit pause on that real quick, uh, because that is not at all uh, how that actually went down or whatever. So if you process everything well, and you've set a good table, then you're just dialoguing, like, what what was the deal with this, you know? And maybe you're going, like, I had no idea that when I said this, you, you, or when I say this consistently, or when I do this consistently, that it's hurting you in this way. And Then you're having this dialogue, and you're able to go back and forth, and you're, we're helping each other understand that, that there's a lot of interpretive messages that we get interpersonally, especially within marriages, you know? Um... And you're able to eliminate some of those lies that we believe. You know, that when, um, when certain things happen or don't happen, it actually has all these secret meanings underneath it. It's like, no, sometimes, like, something, it is exactly what it is. Uh, it's not more than it is. But it, if you're assigning values to it, then it just piles up this baggage. And so, a dialogue about it, I mean, that's what, when you go and you get counseling, that's a lot of what counselors do. We're dealing with two people, is you're just helping each other listen and reflect back and forth and good counselors really they teach you how to do that on your own you know and, and so that's really what's going on so you're having this dialogue back and forth um, it's important to not just do a bunch of talking but you need to do a lot of listening as well and that probably sounds really simple and you know kind of obvious uh, you do a lot of listening um, you, um, you need to pray together you need to pray together Maybe open with prayer, maybe pray in the middle, maybe pray at the end. I mean, maybe when things get weird, stop and pray. I don't know, figure it out. But praying together is really important. Hopefully you've prayed leading up to it. And maybe you've been have given the other person the, the courtesy of saying like, hey, I'd like to sit down and talk about this. Uh, and maybe you're letting them prepare as well instead of so just blindsiding them or whatever. But if there's been a lot of prayer separately, prayer together is really important as well. That's where that verse about two or three gathered in my name, I'm there with them. You're bringing Jesus into it. You're acknowledging that everything that you're saying to each other is going through Jesus. And through Jesus and through Jesus. And you're letting him guide you forward. Um, and the last thing I have here is, like, you need to establish some, like, next steps. So let's say you get everything out there or whatever, and and, and whether you're... you i have just said, I'm really sorry, I'm sorry about this, or that's not what I meant. And you're just, let's say you've dialogued back and forth, you've worked through it, you've listened, you've uh, cried, you've laughed, it's been you know, the perfect mix of everything, um, and you've prayed together, you need to figure out, okay, what do we do now? And even like, are we, are we good? Like, yeah, I know we're good. Okay, that's cool. Um, sometimes it really is that simple. It's a one conversation, like let's just bring a lot of clarity to what's happened, and then you're able to keep, to keep going. But sometimes especially with like really deep wounds and long long-term hurts uh it, one conversation may not get it done. So maybe your next steps are like, well, we I think we're both walking away with a lot to process and think about. So um how about we just both take this to the Lord for the next I don't know week or two and then let's let's set up a time to meet again and talk about it next. Talk about it next, or maybe maybe you hit an impasse and you're like, "All right, well, we need a third party." Um, so maybe you sit down with a counselor who's able to be a neutral, you know, like mediator type or whatever. Maybe that's your next step. You know, there's, but you need to figure something out because if you don't figure out what's next, you just walk away and then like it just gets weird a lot of times from there. Um, and so I know I'm just kind of talking kind of randomly, but that's I th- I think you get the spirit of what that time should be like if you've prepared yourself for that. Conversation, then it's really going to flow very naturally. Um, the the some of the biggest confrontational like times I've had with people where they are coming to confront me or I'm having to confront them, uh, it's it goes it's just so, like so smooth when it actually like comes time to sit down and talk um, when you've prepared yourself well. Uh, when you haven't prepared yourself well, a lot of times it's just a disaster. It's terrible. Um, So there's a lot of wisdom in in Jesus not only telling us how to handle it, but also there's stuff all throughout the Bible that's helping us to learn how to live inside the kingdom, prepare our minds, prepare our hearts, how to think correctly, so that when things happen, we're able to have that dialogue. Um, So what happens after? Uh, Well, you keep praying. okay? You keep praying. You process it with Jesus. You communicate to each other. So if... uh, if you just had one of these sit-downs or whatever, it's probably not good to have, like, complete radio silence between each other for, like, the next two weeks. Um, a simple text message or an email, like, hey, thanks for meeting with me, meant a lot, goes so far, just ridiculously far. Um, and because you're both walking away wondering what the other person's thinking about you, you know? And so just, just eliminate that and communicate with each other, even if it's just very simple things like that. Um, Establishing boundaries that 's a, that's a big thing um, because sometimes we um, sometimes it 's a conversation and you have all this clarity and, and it 's good, and you really are able to kind of return to a normal situation, um, so like husbands and wives, you should always be progressing and all that kind of stuff in and, and return to that, but sometimes with with friends like friendships or like whatever um, you don't need to return to the way it was because it was unhealthy, and so it's it's okay in the afterward time. You need to figure out okay, I need to set up some emotional, physical, whatever boundaries between me and this person because uh, you don't want to get into the same situation that happened the first time. Um, so we are called to to love everyone with like with what the, the Greek word would be agape love with this. Self-sacrificing love, you are willing their good and you're acting upon it. Um, It's not conditioned on if they receive it or not. It's it's very one-way, consistent love. Um, There's another word in the New Testament that's uh, philia, which is like a brotherly affection for each other. It's like basically friendship. Um, We are called to love everyone with agape love. We are not commanded to love everyone with philia love. So, what I'm saying is, it's okay to not be friends with people. Like, in in that way. You know, not to be rude and not to hate them. Uh, that's the agape love. You can agape love someone and not, like, hang out with them all the time and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we need to set those boundaries up. Especially when, someone, when there's been a pattern of hurt, uh, some sort of unhealth or whatever. It's okay to keep them at arm's length. Um, so, going through a resolution process... Uh, some of what makes us fearful is like, well, I don't want to go back to the way it was. And honestly, Jesus doesn't want that either sometimes. And we need to feel permission to set up healthy boundaries. Sometimes that's, it's easy to do, and sometimes you need some more outside wisdom to help you know that. And that's why we live in community, because we can help one another establish those boundaries in a very trusted way. Um, last two things on the after, like what happens after. Uh, I, think you, I think we need to move on sometimes. Um, Sometimes we hold on to that, you know, a little bit too much. We try and drag it out. But let Jesus bring some closure. And if he brings closure, then move on. Like, acknowledge, like, that is done. Jesus has covered that, and we're good. Uh, don't drag it out all the time. Um, the last thing is, just you need to make sure that you're not still holding it against them. That you're refusing to make them pay for what they did to you. Uh, and that you're... Uh, that is something that only Jesus can do in us. And uh, so sometimes, if someone has hurt you, they don't know they've hurt you, you tell them. Sometimes you walk away and be like, yeah, that's right. And then you kind of have, you do feel like, hey, now I'm holding all the cards, you know. No, that's not how, that's not how it works. Um, let Jesus bring some closure and uh, make sure that you aren't holding things against them. Um, so before a lot of heart and mind prep, During um, a lot of just trust in the Spirit and and trusting that all your preparation, that he was in all that and he's got you uh, sitting eyeball to eyeball with this person and he's empowering you in that moment and that he is there with you in your midst um, going to to work the the miracle of relational reconciliation. It really is just tremendous. And then moving forward, uh, letting him show you how to apply all those things and what that relationship should look like. Uh, the whole time understanding that Christ has already covered it and that um, that there's a safety among us. So what happens when you're, when you're dealing with someone who's not a believer? Um, honestly, most, most of it's the same. Most of it's the same. You're before, like, well, you're still called to sit down with them. Like verse 15 still applies. They've sinned against you. You show them their fault. They listen to you. You want them over. It still applies. So all your theological stuff, it's still sin that's the problem. There's still safety in the kingdom. Even if they aren't living in the kingdom, there's still safety because you are. You know, the, pre- the model of the gospel is still the precedent. There's still no reason to fear. still need to pre- prepare yourself, long out of your own eye, all that kind of stuff. The conversation still looks the same, full of grace, full of truth. Giving examples, listening, clarifying, reflective listening, all those kinds of things. Um, the afterword is still okay with boundaries. Like a lot of that stuff, it's really very much the same when someone who's not a Christian has hurt you. Uh, two of the big things that are different. One, uh, you, you have to have expect, different expectations with, when someone is not a believer. If you're sitting down with a Christian, then you can appeal to the Christ in them as well. Trusting Christ in them is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So there's a ton of hope of glory happening there. When someone doesn't know Christ, you should expect them to handle themselves and act like they don't know Christ. Like that's just had a seminary professor that said that one time. He's like, he said, "Why are Christians always so shocked when, when uh, he called them lost people? When lost people act like lost people and they talk like lost people and they make decisions like lost people? Why are you? Why are Christians always shocked by that? Offended by that? You know? I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense." someone doesn't know Christ, they're going to act like they don't know Christ. So our expectations have to be different. So if I sit down with one of you who is a believer, and we're in covenant together, um, I can expect you to respond in certain ways. You can expect me to respond in certain ways. Um, if they're not a Christian, our expectations are just different. Okay? They're not better, they're not worse, they're just different. Um, so, our, so coming out of that conversation, uh, I think we kind of assess it and evaluate it a little bit differently. Um, I guess you put a, you have a different marker of success, so to speak, um, when you're coming out of that conversation. And, uh, and so our expectations are just a little bit different. But our process and how we handle ourselves is exactly the same. Um, and the other big difference is the fact that instead of, like when you're sitting down with a Christian, your ultimate goal is how do we reenact the gospel together through this conflict? When you sit down with a non-Christian, you're saying, how do I act out the gospel in front of you? So that you see the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus. With each other, we reenact it. With a non Christian, you act it out, maybe for the first time. And you, we see it as an opportunity to show them what the cross is all about and what the kingdom is all about. And so, we should be really, really pumped when someone who's not a believer sins against us and we're at conflict with them. Because God's giving us an opportunity there to show them what we already know in the kingdom of how good and how safe and how beautiful Jesus is to us. That he would die for all these ridiculous things that we have against each other. That he would cover that and restore us not only to each other, but that restoration comes because we've been restored to him. So I don't know how helpful this has been to you. Um, Because I don't know where you are. Some of you maybe have like really, really specific conflict things going on in your life, and this has been very, very applicable. Some of you may live in peace with everyone all the time, and you're like, this is not for me, or whatever. Uh, conflict, it's a part of all of our lives. Sometimes we just look the other way about it. Um, but I think we need to, we need to steward well the uh, head-butting occurrences that we have with each other. And stewardship, just like with money or with time or with all these other things, are, are we going to be responsible with this tension that we have with each other? Um, and so I know that we all struggle with it. Jesus is helping us to not struggle with it. And it all boils down to a real understanding of what he's done for us, that the more we understand his forgiveness toward us and our offense of him, the more we're, we're just going to be able just to pass that on to each other and not be afraid to have a simple conversation with each other. So our response time will begin with uh, communion like we've done all through the 30 days. Uh, and as we respond, as you come forward, it's this acknowledgement of, of that the, the body of Christ has been broken for my sins. The blood of Christ has been poured out for my sins. And so all the tension that we have with each other, it's already been handled. It's a celebration of that reality. And then we're just, like I said this in the first one, we're just catching up with the gospel with each other. Um, and so I told somebody last week that part of my goal was to make conflict with each other look really, really silly. That in light of the cross, it really should be, or whatever. And even though it feels really big sometimes emotionally, I think I really think that uh, he wants us to like consider it in light of the body and blood of Jesus. And so that's why, another reason why we've responded this way. So if I can have our servers come forward, um, just begin to prepare yourself to approach... Uh, the table and receive the grace of Jesus. And um, we'll lead us out in just a second.